The Litro Lab podcast. Dear Guruji, by Janice Harper. I know there's only now, so I know it's kind of silly writing to you about some things that have occurred between us in the past and all. But I have heard you refer to the past. For example, when we were at the holy mountain of Arunachala in India earlier this year, you referred to a satsang back in the States when someone asked a question about Kundalini. It's obvious you don't like those kinds of questions, and I predicted accurately your responses to ones like it, those that relate to an established content-driven teaching, so different from your direct non-dualist approach. But... As you'd say, I have something that's alive in me, so I hope you don't mind me writing to you about it to request your guidance. I don't know how this guru thing works, since I've received my own direct teachings all of my remembered life, and have never had an external guru. Uh, no guru, no method, no teacher, as my man Van sings it. You could say I have a strong sat guru an inner teacher. Although I've been down various paths, it was never for the purpose of seeking, per se. And then I fell in love with you, how else to put it, and some things changed a little. And part of the draw was hearing you say what I've always known well, but hadn't heard anyone else say, in pretty much my own language. For example, as far back as I can remember, I've always known my reality was metaphorical and reflected my own beliefs, and thus taught me what I needed to learn, especially if what was happening hurt. Anyhow, by now I've had at least two major openings in your presence, and for whatever character-unraveling reason, it seems that neither has been acknowledged by you, the you I perceive. I thought that it was traditionally part of the guru's job description to guide one through times of openings, just as it's the guru's job to help one wake up. But I get that I likely haven't revealed to you the experiences in a way that might allow you to address them. Perhaps you'd say that you're not addressing them is a teaching for me. Being acknowledged is certainly one of my main issues, as is being understood. Of course, as you've said many times, you don't do anything. What appears to us as doing, talking, happens through you spontaneously, without any forethought or any thought at all. There is no separate character there who's thinking. And I know it's all just me anyway. What goes on in my play, my dream, my life, occurs through me, the character's perception reflecting my own special issues, that stuff I need to cook through. As we used to say in the New Age, we create our own reality. But now I'm willing to concede there might be something more, some ultimate purpose for all this learning and growing and creating we do, like to wake up. It's all tailor-constructed for my freedom, you'd say, to break out of the box. So... At the last Arunachala retreat, 
when I asked the Kundalini question, which I knew would be poo-pooed by you, it was because it was very alive in me at that moment. The question wasn't merely conceptual. You gave me the brush off. But I guess it was part of my humbling process to ask it, and likely be misunderstood, as I knew going in, and was part of the pull to ask it, I guess. Here's the thing. Every time I have openings where I lose myself as a reference point and the veil lifts to reveal the oneness of everything, I experience physical symptoms. They occur right before and after, never during, of course, because body awareness disappears. They aren't painful at all, just obvious. Then, back in 2014 at Arunachala, just after I found you, you found me, in that room on the hotel roof at one of your rare public satsangs, on the second day of my three-day retreat, I heard a loud crack at the top of my head, which popped it open to reveal the ocean of one shining consciousness in which I was immersed for a good six hours until I went to bed and woke up as me again. Paradoxically, I was what's called awake for those hours. And then when I awoke from sleep, I really fell back asleep into the life dream. Then I started having all of these intense physical and also emotionally cathartic symptoms in different parts of my body. They continued in milder forms for an entire year, up until the 2015 Arunachala retreat. For instance, during the first week post-head crack, I felt constantly sexually aroused, and I rarely get aroused anymore. Not meaning to be indelicate, but I was super horny, like, for days. I was on a beach in Goa at the time, and just walking along the sandy shore and letting the waves lick my feet was enough to send me to the edges of orgasm. And I had excruciating headaches, and I never get headaches. And I felt my skin crawling, tickling, in a precise spot on my left calf, just like it did the whole time in satsang during retreat, before and after my head cracked open, at first, I wondered how the air conditioning got under my leggings and why it was tickling me in exactly the same place, the same patch of skin. And two weeks later came the emotional release, the crying like I'd never done before, howling for days while huddled under a heap of blankets in the near-freezing air of an unheated guesthouse in the Himalayas. Ah, uh, my tailbone constantly ached and continued to do so for an entire year. I didn't know much about Kundalini. I see that it's popular in spiritual circles in the States. 
I had no idea about this. And I don't have a spiritual circle myself, by the way. It wasn't until I returned from India that time and did some online research that I saw all of what I had experienced and was still experiencing listed as typical of kundalini awakenings. Apparently I was lucky, or at a stage in my development, that it didn't fuck me up entirely and put me in one hospital or another, according to the literature. Rather, the ongoing physical symptoms helped to keep me firmly rooted in my heart, inward turned, and is the reason, really, that I joined you again on the full two-week retreat the following year. You could say that whatever happened then solidified our relationship. Indeed, I have since experienced versions of this opening on my own, but more gently, not with the same tsunamic force, and never again with an accompanying head-splitting crack. So, on the recent Arnachula retreat, during a monologue, I felt I woke up out of a soft, blissful dream when you spoke the words, the beauty that infuses life into all of it. I suddenly saw everything as one, but in sharp relief, hyper-clear, as if scales had fallen from my eyes. My hand shot up without my being aware of it. You nodded for me to approach, and I almost flew to the dais in my eagerness to sit with you. Unable to contain the indescribable joy I felt, I told you the perspective has shifted, but could only get as far as light and joy and sharp relief in my description because words didn't seem able to communicate the oneness. I tend to lose words in your presence anyhow. Really, why speak at all? And I was attempting to communicate an opening while I was in it rather than after, which I've noticed is more often the way in satsang. The oneness seemed almost ordinary anyhow, probably because it really is reality. It was the intense colors, the vibrancy, the startling clarity of everything I saw that was more important at the time. You responded by saying, It's all now. It's just this. It's not all the flavors of ice cream, but one flavor of ice cream, etc. Your unusual sweet treat metaphor echoed my reality since I'd eaten an ice cream bar the previous night, bought from a street stall outside the ashram. I'd never done such a thing on retreat. And I heard you describing my current experience, so I nodded my head. Yes, it's all now. Yes, it's just this. Happy to hear you say it for me. I only surmised later, when the subject-object separation returned, that you perhaps didn't see I was indeed in that one flavor, and that maybe you were attempting to point the way there, rather than describe where I was in that moment. Huh. Thus, it appears you misunderstood me. I didn't think this could happen. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood, goes that song from the 60s. But, aha, only now, as I'm revising this letter to you for the umpteenth time, does it occur to me that that feeling of being misunderstood is really the teaching. Your words to me 
recollected from my conditioned character's mind, the back-to-normal post-opening mind, brought up this fear. Now I finally see that. And I also see how this fear of being misunderstood just comes up on its own for me over and over throughout my life, generated as if by a computer program, all stuff you've taught, for me to see through it, see that it's really nothing. Or, now in my umpteenth, umpteenth revision, perhaps it was I who simply misunderstood you. How embarrassing. Anyhow, a couple of hours after satsang ended, the physical symptoms came with the return to the reference point of a separate eye. This time I saw a saber curve of light made of diamonds dancing in front of my eyes wherever I looked and felt a pressure on the top of my head as if it were being pushed down. This in direct contrast to the near weightlessness I'd just experienced, so light I could fly. And I felt low to the ground instead of high up containing everybody and thing. Early in the morning, I went to the holy mountain ready to sit. But it kept me standing, told me to feel my feet rooted to the earth. I am a mountain. So, dear beloved Guruji, I don't care either about the naming of Kundalini. It means little to me, as does all content-oriented stuff. Poo-poo! And I'm not a practitioner of the yoga, and as much as I think you'd know this kind of stuff about me, like I feel I know you, it appears you may not. I tread lightly, prefer not to get caught up in any external thing or way, and just be open to it all, present and reverent. This character doesn't want enlightenment or anything, doesn't even like to talk about it, frankly. That doesn't mean that my entire life is not a sadhana. But I do seem to get these intense and often ongoing bodily experiences attached to openings when I'm in your presence, which seem to serve the purpose of ensuring I'm keeping present and turn to the self. I would very much like your guidance or perspective on this. But now, upon revision, I wonder if I really do want your guidance. Perhaps I just want you to know me, to understand me, to correct any misunderstanding you might have about me. That's the real purpose of this letter. There's that fear of being misunderstood coming up again. Because I believe I just answered my own question here. These physical experiences help to keep me present. And, paradoxically again, turned away from the physical and toward the internal, toward the self, toward you. And really, why do I feel that you need to understand me? Why would I even assume that you didn't? I'm writing this rather than asking you in satsang because it seems that only certain kinds of mystical experiences get shared there, and mine appears to be outside the context of your teachings. Also, I don't really know why I should share my experiences. I rarely feel a pull to. 
which is probably why I haven't really told you about this stuff in any clear way. I feel like it doesn't really matter at all. They are just my experiences, as mind-blowing, literally, as they are. They tear apart the veil, reveal the glitches in the matrix, show how we are one and the same. Like, do I tell you that that time when you said you could hear the most beautiful, sacred music when we were all sitting silently together in satsang, that I had been singing to you in my mind? But this happens all the time. Not surprisingly, you speak my experience as it's happening or just after, or you speak my words, whether I'm thinking them at the time or have just written them in my journal. In any case, perhaps we can talk about this sometime. Maybe at the next retreat in India. Or perhaps not. Thank you for reading my letter anyway. Subscribe to the Litro Lab podcast on Spotify. 